0: listening to Bricks and Mortar from EG with Sarah Jackman. My guest today is Barney Evans, Director of Sustainability and ESG at Planning and Development Consultancy Turley. Barney recently contributed a career insight to EG's new Starting Out in Real Estate supplement and joins me today for a discussion on his journey into the sector and what makes sustainability an attractive career. Barney, thank you very much indeed for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. You wrote a couple of months ago for us your column about a career in sustainability and your own journey into it. And in that column, you talk about the growing discussion around sustainability and and how you took note of that in the early 2000s. Tell me a little bit about what those early conversations looked like and, and what what it was about those conversations that really caught your imagination and, and made you think, yes, this could be a career for me.
1: Yeah, in the early two thousand, it's difficult to, to remember how different the world was in terms of this conversation. And it was quite early days. And I was looking for a new job at the time and sustainability w- was being talked about. And I wanted to do something that was interesting, engaging and, and made a difference in the world. And so I got an opportunity with a startup at the time called Constructive Earth in Cthilly. That was my opportunity. Everything was much more unknown in those days. I suppose. So, for example, the, that company was trying to set up a construction materials database for sustainable materials, which is pretty standard now and everyone knows different systems. But at the time it was it was unique. So, yeah, that was my opportunity, I suppose. And it was, uh, I, I grabbed it with both hands. From
0: that initial opportunity, you obviously went on to develop your career in the sector. Tell me a little bit about your early impressions of when you started working in it. I mean, you you mentioned it was quite different from today.
1: What happened with the startup companies, it uh, it, it, it failed, unfortunately. But um, I learned a lot about business during that year, 18 months. But then I was fortunate to get a job at White Young Green, as was in those days. It was a multi-disc consultancy I joined the mechanical electrical engineering teams. That very much, that was my perspective on the world. So, you know, and I imagine if you start somewhere else, you get a slightly different perspective. At the time, it all felt complicated. It was all unclear. Um, But I think that was mainly my lack of knowledge. It was compared to today, it was a fairly simple world of general interest in renewable energy, the Bream scheme was just coming in and these kind of things were of interest. So I suppose, like I say, at the time I was new to it, so it felt complicated, but actually it was very simple. And then I think another big step forward that happened in 2008 was the Climate Change Act, which suddenly gave everything this sort of legal footing. And then every business and organisation needs to respond to that. So You
0: have been in the sector for for around 20 years now and your, yeah. your role's obviously evolved in that time and as you mentioned the legislative framework has grown up around that. Tell me a little bit about how your career has developed in that time in terms of what you do and how you respond to clients and I guess the, the level of interest there now is in terms of the sustainability field.
1: So at the time again I felt the, the sustainability sector was pretty much project based very much built environment It certainly wasn't a corporate thing very much in those days. It wasn't a boardroom level conversation. I think that clearly has completely changed in that time. Also, what happened quite early in my career was we went through the 2008-2009 recession, the big crash, financial crash. That was where you saw sustainability dropped in quite a lot of instances because there was a sort of sense of ran down the hatches, weather the storm. What's happened since then is that's completely evolved. So even through the sort of crises we've been through recently, which have seemed to be coming ever faster, don't they? You know, wars and pandemics and so on. That sustainability feels like the themes around net zero and so on are, are much more embedded in corporate culture and political culture. You can't drop them or pick them up. It feels like sustainability has become less engineering. Again, maybe that's because it's the perspective I came at it from. At first, it was like mechanical problems to solve. And now it's much more sociological and a much wider conversation i've evolved a bit like that as well because i started at white and green in the mechanical electrical team and then i joined wsp as is now in the environmental business and that was much more corporate focused much more international focused i think sustainability has gone a bit in that direction as well and i think you see that in my role at, at turley as well i joined turley to support a lot of their corporate work and their work around net zero which was growing disproportionately to other elements of their work so
0: you talk about the evolution of of your own career. When you look back and you think about the things that have helped to accelerate your career, what were those things? What were those key moments? Do you think?
1: I think I was lucky. So I start around 2005, and so it was a, it was a great time in cinematography. It was a real boom time. So that was just good timing. The main thing that helped me with my career early on was enthusiasm. So I was it's much more difficult as you get older you've got more responsibilities but at the time when I started at wetting particularly I read everything I attended every event I spoke to everyone I could speak to I was bothering grumpy engineers asking awkward questions and so on I wanted to learn software packages you know you name it and I think that was helpful. I think when you start your career what I didn't realize at the time was not everyone's interested in learning new things in fact, a lot of people aren't interested in new things at all. And I was. And so it gave me opportunities that I wouldn't have got otherwise, because when the new, you know, the new building regulations came in or the new software package or the new whatever, I was keen. And they gave me some opportunities. Otherwise, I'm quite numeric. And so I think that's helpful. You know, I, I was able to do maths and solve problems and so on. I think that's was really helpful in my early career. And then and maybe a bit related to the enthusiasm, I'm quite sociable, which... Again, working in a mechanical and electrical engineering team at the time uh, wasn't common. So I enjoyed meeting people, talking to people, learning about things, you know, asking questions. That first five years in white and green really made my career in the sense of I think it gave me that solid foundation to jump off from.
0: And in terms of the points at which you've managed to grow your career since and, you know, move into different roles and areas of the profession. I mean, what, what are the things and the opportunities that you've been able to take advantage of since?
1: In White and Green it was very much it was almost like being at university so I, I took advantage of uh, lots of training courses and lots of colleagues and professional bodies. So I'm a member of CIVSE, the Chartered institution of building service engineers although I've, I've never done any building service engineering in the strict sense. So I learned a lot through that it was my very sort of work academic background so that was mainly focused on development work but when I joined WSP that was really interesting as well I got exposed to an international business so we did a lot of work in the Middle East, a lot of work um, with international organisations. So I think a of organisations like IKEA. And that was well, it's just amazing, you know, when you're young and it's amazing travel and all those opportunities. But you also learn so much by seeing different perspective on things and that more broad perspective rather than just a narrow focus on your project. The other thing that happened at WSP was just, natural career progression I got promoted and and I ended up managing a business unit and a cost centre and that again is a massive learning curve because you have to think about budgets, you have to think about recruitment you have to think about all those kind of things and you think much more strategically about how what you're doing and why you're doing it and then what's been nice at Turley is working with the corporate net zero elements and exploring smart energy systems which maybe we can talk about in a minute as a sort of future I've been really enjoying that.
0: Perhaps we can talk a little bit about the the policy side of things I mean you've touched on the Act, the, the Climate Change Act in 2008, and some of the other regulations that have started to evolve since. To what extent has that really impacted your field of work? And and how do you anticipate policy evolving going forward?
1: Well, I mean, hugely. I think what's interesting I do is at first, all of my work was really driven by regulation or government finance. You know, if you wanted a if you wanted funding for this, that way, either you had to do certain sustainability things, and that's that's completely changed now. I'd say well, not completely. There's still a lot of that, but most of my work is driven by industry standards. You know, so it's it's professional bodies, it's it's organisations coming together to sort of set their own standards, set their own benchmarks, and you get sort of quasi-regulatory things around reporting standards. So I think what's amazing now, looking back over that period, is just how sort of standardised this is all becoming in some ways. So, you know, report structures like TCFD and if Nigeria, you've got SBTI and all these countries, where there is a place to go now where you can see the, the rules. The industry has gone one, in one sense in that direction. It's much more formalised and that's good in a way. I think what the, the ESG agenda has has almost opened another can of worms, which I think, which I think the sustainability sector hasn't really got to grips with in that ESG becomes so everything. You wonder, what are we, you know, is it everything or are we trying to focus on something? And I, and I think also as a someone who's now looking back on quite a lot of my career, I genuinely do have 20 years of experience in energy and net zero and those kind of things. So I can genuinely talk with expertise on those things. If you talk to me about social and governance, I think we're still trying to I don't have 20 years experience in that. And I'm still trying to we're going to mesh those together and what that means for our for our sector, I think.
0: Can you touch on some of the initiatives that you're involved with now at Turley and how they're shaping your field? Do you want to expand a, a little bit more on those and, and what is coming up for you in terms of practice evolution going forward?
1: So, I mean, I work across the border as well as work at the ESG. I think my main two focuses work are the net zero agenda for business is, so that's that's a big area of work, and I think most organisations now have a plan or are in the process of developing a plan. So that's going to be a huge area of work. What we haven't got to grips with yet, and I think so, the sort of technical niche area where I'm really interested is if you talk about net zero, the actual the phrase itself, net zero implies um, a balance, doesn't it? It's net, you know, as in so you emit some bad greenhouse gas emissions and then you cancel it off in an, in another way by generating renewable energy. or something. But that's not how an energy system works. An energy system is like a living, breathing thing. It needs to be in balance all the time. And at the moment, all the regulations around net zero or or buying renewable energy work on the basis of it being a sort of a very simple sum. I use a gigawatt hour, so I buy a gigawatt hour of renewable energy and I'm stable, I'm net zero. But that's not how an energy system works. It needs to be in balance all the time. And so what we're not doing at the moment is considering how electric vehicle charging, solar systems, heat pumps, wind farms, batteries, well, how do these things all mesh together in real time? And I think that's probably the really exciting thing for me in a sort of technical challenge. We need to solve that in terms of how we define net zero organisation, but also how we do it in a challenge.
0: So some exciting times ahead yes. in, in terms of things to work on. What then for you makes sustainability an exciting area of the industry to be involved in?
1: It's ever changing, which you probably don't realise if you work in the sector because you're sort of used to it. But it's it's a rare quarter of the year where some new interesting thing hasn't policy, regulation, technology hasn't made change things. So I I certainly appreciate that because I, I enjoy the excitement of the new and how topical it is. I enjoy solving problems. So I think that's good. I like working out the answers and sustainability gives you an opportunity to do that. I enjoy arguing and debating and calculating things. So that's part of me. It was also quite enjoyable to be involved in an area where the general public do have an interest. So, you know, I, I do talk to my friends and they are genuinely, I don't know, they'll ask questions about whatever it is, solar power or, or something they've just heard about. It's nice to be topical, I suppose, isn't it?
0: And just thinking about who might be suited to a career in sustainability I mean you mention in your column that you wrote for the supplement that you know in the past you typically see people coming from an engineering background into the industry and that's obviously your own background but you also mentioned that that's changing and and, you know you're seeing people come into it through many different directions now.
1: Yeah I'd say traditionally and still, probably most of my colleagues come from a sort of engineering or architecture or energy background mm-hmm. academically. But yeah, it is changing now in the sense that that's, it's less and less the case. And also, I think increasingly, uh, we were saying about how formalized sustainability has become. There are increasingly academic courses which are called sustainability. So it's not, you know, you don't do mechanical engineering and then become sustainable. So I think that's that's happening. So I think that's probably one of the opportunities for people who are interested in sustainability is it's pretty open access in that you can enter it from different perspectives. I think that also makes it challenging, by the way, because it means you're up against a lot of competition. I think if, you know, whereas I think if you're an architect or an engineer, you're up against less competition because you're up against people who had to get formal qualifications. And I think I would recommend to anyone coming into sustainability to get a grounding in something solid. And that that can be a lot of different things. But I think that helps you have something, have a sort of fundamental root from which you grow. I think that's really helpful. You, you mean, you could be, call yourself a sustainability consultant, you could be a sustainability consultant where you do nothing but software modelling. That's all you do. You know, you sit behind a computer and, and do that. Or you could be completely at the other end where you do nothing but stakeholder engagement. And and both of you could walk into a room and say, I'm a sustainability consultant. And so it's very, very difficult to put that into a box.
0: And for anyone perhaps listening to this today who's potentially interested in joining the sector, what advice and encouragement would you give to them?
1: Well, I suppose the encouragement is it's possible to get into it from any perspective, so don't feel like you've missed it or anything. I think you'll have to work hard, I think. But I, I, that's the other thing I'd say a notice. I don't think I would get a job now from the position I was when I started my career. If so. I mean, I think it would be, I, I would just be up against competition that's much stiffer. I'm always impressed with the just the sheer quality of the people we get applying for graduate roles and that kind of thing. So it's, it's to work hard. I would advise on, I think I put in the article again about internships. I think they're a really good way looking back again to my very early career I had very little idea of what actually work involved if you know what I mean and it's only when you do that for four weeks six weeks or something you get a real flavor for what the job's like so I didn't I'd recommend that most businesses will offer those and increasingly I think they have to be paid so it's fantastic and then and then if you, if you get in I think my challenge to, to people getting into sustainability we, we keep asking why in sustainability I think there's Sometimes in sustainability, we have a bit of a lack of critical thinking. We can all be a bit too chummy and we're all agreeing. And I think it's good for that next generation. Keep asking questions. How do we balance competing interests? What do these latest developments mean? That would be my advice.
0: Barney, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great to have you on the podcast and really nice to expand on some of the themes that we covered in the Starting Out in Real Estate publication. So thank you very much indeed for your time.
1: You're very welcome. Thanks,
0: Sarah. That was Bricks and Mortar from EG with Sarah Jackman. For more on developing a career in real estate, see the archive of the Bricks and Mortar series at popbean.com and the EGI archive at egi.co.uk.